no kid wants to identify with Lex Luthor, right? Yep. No kid is like, oh man, Lex Luthor's great. He shaves his head and he has all the kryptonite. <laughs> yeah. Who's your favorite? Well, I like Lex Luthor. Yeah. It's like, oh man, you do not want to invite that kid over to your house, you know? <laughs> hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dave. Thanks for joining Bob and I for our podcast, Thriving in Dystopia. And even though we always try and be professionals, sometimes we swear. So just know that going in. He drinks a whiskey drink. He drinks a vodka drink. He drinks a lager drink. He drinks a cider drink. He sings the songs that remind him of the good times. He sings the songs that remind him of the best stuff. <laughs> um, all right. And take three. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> that was great. Here we are, Bob. We're back at it. The old thriving cast episode. Yep. Who knows? Who yep. knows what? But we're here today, and that's all you can ask for. Yeah, we're here together in the sa- the sound studio, and really grateful to be here. How you feeling today, Dave? Uh, I'm feeling a little bit low energy, and I'm not totally stoked to be just the high energy radio personality that our viewers have grown to love you know oh yeah i think you get a lot of fan mail around your high energy every week yeah well i haven't yet but i hope to someday yeah (laughs) you know how Um, kids have imaginary friends we have uh imaginary fans yeah (laughs) no that's not true we do have some some very loyal yep yeah don't want to don't want to uh, besmirch the loyal fandom, but I no. would like an imaginary fan that was uh, half tiger and half unicorn mm-hmm. that just loved your high energy. Yeah, maybe half serpent, half leopard, a serpapard. Ooh, a serpapard. <laughs> I don't know if you're trying to, but you're you're pushing us towards our topic of the show with that comment. God, I wasn't, but that feels great. Yeah. I'm excited to get after this topic today, Bob. Mm. Do you mind if we uh, delve in? Let's dig right into it, Dave. Yeah, let's uh, open the floodgates. What if we had like a a music section right here? Maybe I'll uh, put in a time portal noise. How's that sound? And we'll time time portal us right in into the main topic of the show today. Yeah, that works because this topic takes us way back into our youth and so we need a time portal to access some of these memories sweet bum well today we're going to be talking a little bit about superheroes and part of the reason we want to be doing this is because we feel that the story of the superhero is super important it's super important let's hope that one hits the editing floor am i right oh please please (laughs) Yeah, and it's also happen just so happens to be Comic Con going on right now. That's right, and it's virtual Comic Con, so just go to that website and you and it's free, so that's pretty cool. I think it's, I think today and tomorrow are the last days. I'm not totally sure, but it's good timing. Do you know if this episode is going to be on the Comic Con website, Bob? Oh, <laughs> that'd be our big break, Dave. Yeah, our big break. Beautiful. So, yeah, we both grew up loving superheroes, and even before I 
was a big time reader. Like when I was six, seven, eight, I got super into the idea of X-Men. That was my first foray into the superhero world and yours as well. Of course, I was just doing it because that's what you, you were doing. And I'm curious if you want to talk a little bit about the, the childhood aspect of us loving superheroes as kids, Bob, what did it mean to you? It takes me back to about maybe we were 10 or 11 years old and we got into them because other peers were into them. They were trading these comic um, trading cards. So we didn't actually start with the comics themselves. We love these trading cards. And I think they offered a escape from reality and a way to think about you know, dealing with the problems with superpowers, because I know I always imagined having superpowers. And then I think they also, when I started reading the stories of these characters, I thought they were amazing. And they tie into the show because a lot of the storylines are about dystopian futures. Yeah, they gave me a lot of things to imagine. And I really love that. And I, and then I, the characters were so interesting that I really, um, identified with a number of those characters. How about for you? What, what memories come back for you? Yeah. I just remember that idea of walking into our local comic book store and buying some of those trading card comics. And it was just the, the greatest feeling I remember when I got my first hologram or holographic card and I was like, Oh, this is so cool. Yeah. It definitely like come like for us, it came at such a time of imagination, right? I feel like the strongest time of imagination is elementary school years, but specifically like second through fourth grade. I feel like when you're younger than second grade, you don't really like perceive the outside world too well. And past fourth grade, you sort of get to this point where you start to get moody and teenagery and it becomes uncool to be like into imagination. So we kind of got introduced to it at this ideal point and it, it played a huge role in our development, both at the time and also long-term it's, it's stuck with us. And a lot of these stories have power, right? And I guess that's kind of where I was thinking about going to next is this idea mm-hmm. of what 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 are the stories that we're telling our youth? And a lot of the the youth is being told these stories, but it's more even more so it's typically just boys, which is also another question that um has been brought up for me is why who gets to be a superhero? And why are these stories being told specifically towards boys? Like marketed that way at the very least and yeah i what what do the stories mean to you bob how, or how do you perceive these stories the superhero stories yeah maybe i can relate one of the stories that i remembered that i liked and then maybe you could talk about one that you really liked and i'll i'll keep on going with what you talked about the x-men the x-men just to give a little thumbnail sketch of them they are Mutants, they have mutations in their genetic material that allows them to have some special ability. And because of that, they are seen as other 
basically they're treated as like things to be managed and maybe even killed off in the X-Men universe. So they have to bond together and try to survive. So that's, I mean, that's super interesting. That has a lot of parallels to our current world and the way that we other people and what resistance looks like. And so the storyline that I remember of X-Men that I really bonded with was called Days of Future Past. And this takes place something like 50 years in the future. And it imagines a world where the like non-mutants have really decimated the X-Men, but also in doing so, they've really laid waste to a lot of the world. So the world's apocalyptic. It's in shambles. Um, these like huge robots called the Sentinels hunt mutants, but they're hunting just basically everything. And they've kind of taken over like Terminators. And but some of the X Men have survived, like Wolverine and Storm. And I know that they're like kind of a romantic couple, and that was always so interesting too, because in the you know most typical present storylines, they are not like that but so that was interesting to think about and then they have a possibility because one of the x-men is named bishop and he's a time traveler so there's still a possibility of going back um and changing things and i really love that idea um so that's a storyline that i thought had a lot of things for me to think about it was maybe my first real deep um dive into dystopias and I'm I'm just like thinking about that story in particular and definitely the messages that are being sort of shoved your direction, you know what I mean? Like there's some really good stuff thinking about like I feel like the reason we're doing the show is because we're th- we love to think about dystopia and what it means and in this future where there's robots that are sort of laying waste to the entire world, what does that mean for us? And these questions of like you said, the idea of mutants being othered is another great topic for us to think about. But I do think that on the other edge, it's also like the others in this scenario, they're outnumbered by the rest of humanity. These mutants are outnumbered, but they have these like incredible, fantastic powers. And I feel like that kind of feels like one of those those messages that get portrayed throughout all of comic books of that like savior mentality that you need to be better than or more than human to be to make a difference in the world and i think that's one of the problematic things that carries on throughout and of course the other thing that i thought of immediately was the violence right it's all about fighting and that is like the centered storyline and sure there are like some random romances on the side but it's it always comes back to the fighting right it's never about um solving issues in any other way except for this like battling and putting this brute force right and that is like whether you're a hero or a villain you're going to end up killing a lot of stuff and that is mm. definitely a strong message in in these this world of superhero those are some interesting points yeah i'd like to go into some of those more but i would say why don't you tell your storyline that you like and we can keep keep on weaving those those ideas as we continue yeah awesome i yeah keep those in mind i guess the the storyline that 
appeals to me most is one that is much more recent. I could go back in time. Um, but the one that keeps coming up for me as I think about it is the Batman, the world of the Batman and specifically the dark Knight, which was a movie made by Christopher Nolan in 2008, which has some real dystopian topics going on throughout. It sort of has this duality of dark versus light and chaos versus order and good versus evil, of course. And it, what, what Christopher Nolan does so well in this is he flips it all on its side and turns everything upside down. It's the story of the story of the Joker and the Joker is this, um, this amazing performance by Heath Ledger. And I, one of the things I love about the Joker is he is such a game theory guy. And he, the movie opens up with um, a classic game theory called the pirates game where it's, how do you get the most money with uh, if you're a pirate and you're, you find a buried treasure, how do you get the most money out of that buried treasure? And it ends with the prisoner's dilemma, which is an amazing, amazing game theory game. It has these two, it ends with Batman fighting Joker for the soul of Gotham. There's a ferry of civilians that are trying to leave Gotham. And then there's a ferry of convicts that are trying to leave Gotham and Joker's hidden a bomb on both of the ferries and the detonator is on the opposite ferry. So the convicts could blow up the civilians and the civilians could blow up the convicts. And the Joker is says, you can't talk to each other. And at midnight, I'm going to blow you both up. So you need to decide who lives and who dies, which is just a really intense moment. And I love it so much because it, it at the same time, the Batman and Joker are fighting each other and the Joker gets flipped upside down and the camera sort of turns on this angle and he's hanging upside down, giving this beautiful soliloquy. Yeah, it's it's a great movie and one that sort of brings to light all of yeah, the dystopian topics that we love to talk about on the show so much, you know. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah, it's so good. And you know, for our listeners, we talked about the prisoner's dilemma in episode 9 quite a bit, so I'm so glad you brought us back to that and yeah, I li- I like that Batman the Dark Knight because I think you and I both started like identifying quite a bit with Joker and like starting to question like Batman and Bruce Wayne and who do we identify with in comics because actually uh, I'm not when I was a kid I loved Batman but growing up and watching that movie it had me questioning like why do I love this billionaire savior um and maybe there's something to this Joker and like the the ideology and the practices that Joker has going. But of course, Joker is problematic too. So I like how it like really made things a lot of different shades of gray in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Like no kid wants to identify with Lex Luthor, right? Yo kid is like, oh man, Lex Luthor's great. He shaves his head and he has all the kryptonite. <laughs> yeah. Who's your favorite? Well, I like Lex Luthor. Yeah. It's like, oh man, you do not want to invite that kid over to your house, you know? 
It's like, yeah, future Jeff Bezos, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh, perfect. Yeah, Lex Luthor is such a Jeff Bezos. Dang, is that must be a common thing, right? Yep. Um, yeah, but like, I guess I feel like it all started in the 80s where we started thinking about superheroes in a way. Like back in the fifties, superheroes were these i these like demigods, right? They're these like like Superman's a great example of what it means to be a godlike figure. Yeah, and he is sort of he's sort of the embodiment of the Ubermensch that Frederick Nietzsche talked about. This person that's more than this person that is better than us that will always be better than us and if you look at superman he gets his powers from the sun he gets his powers from the light and he can basically do anything there's like no he has this one little thing kryptonite which can like stop him from being a, a an actual god because if there was no kryptonite superman would be a god but it's it's interesting because this is the story of the fifties and the early comics. It's like, it doesn't even make sense. Yeah. We can daydream about being Superman and that's great. And what it would feel like to fly. But I loved how in the eighties, there was this second wave of comic books that came out that sort of questioned like, what if superheroes actually existed in this world? Would we want someone running around blowing up tall buildings just to stop other super villains? Mm -hmm. And yeah, specifically what I'm talking about is um, this guy, Alan Moore. He came out with a few comic books that you'll all probably recognize. One is The Watchmen. Another is V for Vendetta. And the third one is the movie that The Dark Knight is actually based on, which is called The Joker, Batman colon The Joker, where he, mm. takes, a delve, he takes a delve into the, the questions that come up. Like, what does it mean to be a superhero? And what if... What if society rejects the idea of people running around in tights trying to save the world? And what does it mean to be a super villain? Why do, why should we take interest in these people? Are they just foils or are they actual, do they have real backstories? And it kind of flipped everything and made comics into what we know today, which is like a much deeper dive. Yeah, I love that because what we have seen in the last 30 or 40 years is a critique of basically the white male comic book hero. You know, I think Alan Moore was doing that. And even like that X-Men storyline, Days of Future Past, that's coming from like the uncanny X-Men. You remember like there was new characters like Storm, I think was a part of that. And Thunderbird, Colossus, uh, you know, starting to critique the white superhero. Um, and it's mm. developed, you know, like Black Panther and ta Coates writing that. This other great comic that I like and you like called Saga, where you have some really interesting stuff with race, gender, and sexuality. So I think a lot of like comics have come a long way and they present these re like counter narratives to domination. But then I would ask you, Dave, because you know more about this than I do, why then do we have the Avengers? being so damn popular and you know there's things about the avengers that i like but in general it's like one of these old school narratives that does seem to recenter like the white superheroes and the male superheroes right so 
Um, yeah, I wanted oh, to, to see if you had any thoughts on, yeah, these like ideas that I just put out there around, you know, resistance, but then also the most lucrative one still seems to be like the kind of more traditional storyline. I don't have a, a clear cut answer for that, but I do know that the Avengers has been pretty heavily critiqued as basically being garbage but it's the type of garbage that seems to sell in our society, right? It's this reality TV show where uh, a good example might be the bachelor, right? Like we all know that the bachelor is hot garbage, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, hot take. Yeah. It is like this type that we're like used to and it, we're kind of already bought into that, right? In the greater society, this is what the message that gets pushed. And it's one that is not critiquing greater society. But like, as we look at the Avengers, it's this like 22 movie Marvel cinematic universe, this like massive undertaking that they went through. And they kept throughout the whole of it, they kept increasing the ante. They, they made the stakes bigger and bigger, right? And because that's what you do. Once you save a town, what can you do next? You save a city. Once you save a city, what do you do next? You team up with somebody else (laughs) and you save a metropolis, you know? And then what do you do next? You team up with a few other teams and then you save the world. And then what's what's next is the whole freaking universe. Like that's where the Avengers movies end with them saving the universe, which is like you can't go anywhere from there. The storytelling becomes so boring and vapid. There's like nothing there. There's no depth. And if we look back to what is most interesting in these superhero stories is when we actually get to know the characters, when we feel that feeling that we can relate to, because yeah, we all would be really sad if the universe exploded tomorrow. And if the, that would be a really hard thing, but we can't relate to that. That's like something that like, doesn't have any real feeling for us, but we can relate to the idea of like losing our loved one and watching our loved one die in like an explosion and what that might feel like and how that might turn someone like Harvey Dent to become the two face. Right. And I feel like those personal stories are the ones that we, when we can like feel that feeling of what it might feel like to press the bomb, to blow up a entire, boat of civilians or convicts like that's those are feelings that we can grasp onto so yeah the avengers are the bachelor of comic books they're hot garbage you know (laughs) okay i'll say one other thing there is one beautiful avengers movie do you know which one it is bob um i think and i know the one you're talking about it's you want to say it at the same time? Yeah. See if we get it. Okay. One, One two, three, two, three. Thor, Thor Ragnarok. Ragnarok. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, any movie that gives us Korg is going to be a good movie. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the only reason that movie. Oh, okay. My take on my hot take on Thor Ragnarok is it's actually directed by a real director. Absolutely. Uh, Taika Waititi. There you go. Taika Waititi. Yeah. So he, and the reason it's so good is because it has comic relief, which is something that's so important to superhero movies. But yeah, Taika Waititi is a, he did Jojo Rabbit. He did 
hunt for the wilder people. He is a pretty, he's just a well done director. And he did this movie while the, the actual story was the same old superhero story of Thor going off to save the day. What made this movie interesting was that it had like, it was able to be self-referential and funny and it made fun of itself. And by making fun of itself and having these jokes, it humanized the the superhero. It humanizes Thor because he becomes more relatable and more personable. But the whole like saviorism of the whole movie was just like on repeat. And it was like, all right. I mean, you have to end it with Thor winning. Yeah, there was so much. I think those side characters like Korg offered good humor, but they were also trying to critique the saviorism, you know, like core makes those jokes about, you know, when Thor's trying to do these typical things that would get him out of that prison, they don't work. And Korg has a joke about it, you know? Um, I don't remember quite what those jokes are, but yeah, I think there's a critique of the, the standard storyline in that movie. And that's why we really like that one. Yeah. Uh, it's something about how there used to be a guy named Ted that really wanted to get out of the prison. Oh, yeah, that's right. And so Korg starts calling Thor, ah, you're like the new Ted. And he's <laughs> just, and, and Thor's like, what happened to Ted? It's like, oh, he got out. Oh, great. See? And then it's like, yeah, but then he died. <laughs> I guess it humanizes, right? In that moment, Korg is humanizing Thor to be like, or like kind of making fun of the silliness of running around in a cape and tights to save the world. It's like, yeah, those are the moments that make the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think we have a lot going on with comics and they are like maybe more powerful than ever. Of course, with those movies, you know, there's a lot behind them, but even the dark Knight was a very popular movie. And so, that had a, you know, very resistive storyline, and yet it also got a lot of funding and you know Christopher Nolan behind it. So, yeah, I'm wondering what you see as how we should think about comics in a societal way. Do you think they're going in a good direction? And have any thoughts on that? I guess I feel like there are good comics out there, and. As a but as a general whole, I'd say no, they're not going in a great direction because comics, more often than not, it's just the saviorism mentality of Captain America saving the world. But there is this undercurrent, and that is kind of what I what I like to get after because there is it is comics come at such a crucial time for the child's imagination. And if we are feeding this Captain America story to our kids, this like white savior story over and over again, it's going to reinforce that in our greater society. And what I'd love to see happening is all of us as teachers and parents and um, just humans digging deeper because there are those stories that are, that will be so formative and it doesn't have to be a a white male. It doesn't have to be um, a superhero saving the world. And we can still tell these 
superhero stories without making them all about violence. We can tell these superhero stories without making them all about, I guess, sort of this masculine energy. And we can use them as empowering and use them as counterculture. And we can use them as sort of a radicalizing and taking down, taking down the state, just like V does in V for Vendetta. He takes down Big Brother, which is like, that's the story that I would love to see told a little bit more. And I see this a general theme throughout all of our media, right? If you dig deep enough, you can find the media that we can expose our youth to in a much stronger and better way. For instance, like the board book that um, Ibram Kendi just came out with for babies called anti-racist baby. And oh yeah. Yeah. So I'd, it's, it's all there. It's just, we need to be critical of it and we need to make sure that we're not just saying, Oh, superhero movies suck because the Avengers suck. And you know, I totally agree with you. The Avengers suck, but that doesn't mean that we need to like ignore them and we need to forget about the superhero movie and be like, yeah, you know what? Like, I don't want you to watch superhero movies, so let's ignore them. We need to be like, if we are going to watch an adventure movie, we need to be critical of it and understand why this movie is problematic. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I think, yeah, one of the points that I want to just keep on emphasizing is that there's so many possibilities for finding those other storylines in the world of comics and superheroes that we don't have to settle for the typical storyline. There's all kinds of different stories out there. So I think like whatever, that's the part that I like, you know, they're, they might not be the most popular, but for example, going into Santa Cruz, there's a comic book store and I would go there every now and then everyone who worked there, like there wasn't a single like dude working there. Um, and I know they had the great, su- such a great diversity of different storylines. That's, that's where I found Saga. And I remember, you know, a few months going back, uh, going in there and seeing that comic called, um, I think it's like Miss America. Do you know that one? It's like a young Chicana superhero. And, hmm, you know, I didn't even know that that existed. And I was like, oh, wow, this looks awesome. And so I think, you know, like you're saying, there's there's so much to offer. It just takes work, you know, a little bit of work to find these counter narratives out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that we're trying to do on the show as much as we can is we're trying to not ignore any issue. We're trying to, I mean, if you look at the the show titles we've tried to go into a bunch of different things and we're not experts on anything but true i feel like that's one thing that i'd like to that offers a lot of hope in this world is when people don't just write something off they try and understand it a little bit more you know what i mean yeah absolutely yep and we we do talk about all these things like sports and comics and things like that that are have a lot of toxicity in them and we want to deal with that tension of do we just give it up and you know step away from that world or do we fight within that world even though we know it has a lot of problems in it and my my perspective I, I keep on wanting to fight within these worlds 
because there's others already fighting in them, you know, and I, I think, you know, for people like you and me to, to very privileged white guys to turn away in some of the fights, especially when we're confronting white masculinity, I think is a little bit of a giving up our responsibility. So, and it's complicated. It's a complicated question. Yeah, definitely. Bob, maybe I think we could end with uh, a simple question and yeah. maybe an explanation. And that question is, what was your favorite superhero growing up and why? Ah, that's right. Okay. it's Yeah, so I had different phases. And I think I'm going to talk about Nightcrawler, actually. He wasn't my first favorite. Uh, my first favorite was Cyclops. But I evolved out of Cyclops and started to appreciate and enjoy Nightcrawler. And I think probably for three reasons, Nightcrawler is an X-Men who has like blue skin. And so one, he's an outcast and he was like always treated as a monster. Like he was in a circus show growing up. And I thought that was really interesting and important. Um, yeah. Even two, within, even within, the mutant society he was an outcast even within there which is kind of interesting as well because that's he right. wasn't the the beautiful white male that could shoot lasers out of his eyes he was like kind of a a monster looking person yep yeah and actually like his personality was so sweet he was like so gentle and sweet and i think i i enjoyed that about nightcrawler too um two he was german so he had a german accent and i was learning German at the time. And I identified with that. Um, and then three, his like ability is teleportation. And I thought that was the coolest, like just teleporting and like into a, a sort of puff. And I, I enjoyed that. So the, those were the reasons I, I like Nightcrawler. How about you, Dave? Mm. Yeah, I'd say I'll answer in a similar way. I'd say my first favorite character ever was Jubilee. And she was she was kind of like the kid of the team. And I kind of always felt like the kid brother, you know, so I identified with that. But that's about as far as I went with her. But I ended up really falling in love with the character of Gambit later on. Gambit is this guy from the South and he's a sweet talker and he's always doing card games. And his power was actually to energize objects and then those objects would explode because he could put so much energy into them. Yeah. I like now that I'm looking back on it, I, I kind of feel like I wanted to be Gambit because I, I felt like he was so cool and he was able to talk to anybody and sweet talk them. And he was definitely a womanizer. And these are like, I guess this is like one of the problematic messages that I want to bring up is like, yeah, these characters that we idolize might be idolized and we're not critiquing them for the right reasons. So yeah, I wish a little bit more that I was in love with a cooler character that was more of an underdog or someone that was better than that. But I definitely had that feeling of wanting to be Gambit and wanting to be everybody's favorite person, which makes sense. If you look at who I was in elementary school, I was always an outcast and nobody's favorite person. So it makes sense that I wanted to um, be 
be like the highlight of the party. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It does make sense. And it's interesting. And I see where you're coming from in terms of like the need to have characters that are like good role models for young kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Sweet, Bob. I say let's talk a little bit our, about our tuned in, what you've been tuned into this week. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is like a big shift from comic books. I am listening to this theologian named James Cone, and he has a YouTube interview. He was interviewed by Bill Moyers, and he was interviewed about his book called The Cross and the Lynching Tree. James Cone is a figure who is really important for black liberation theology. Um, so the idea that theology can be liberatory and is a part of social movement struggles and a part of personal and collective liberation. And the cross and the lynching tree is super interesting because it, Cohn is saying that for Christians who have the image of the cross, for American Christians, they have to understand the lynching tree and what that did to black people. And that um, if they consider themselves Christians, then they need to understand why lynching existed and um, the ways in which we haven't uh, ever really wrestled with that. And then also for Americans um, or specifically for black people, he's saying that, you know, there is within Christianity liberatory voices and ways to understand uh, struggle through liberation, through Christian liberation. So that's interesting too. Hmm. Cool. Yep. How about you, Dave? What are you uh, tuned into? Yeah, I've been jamming out to this new album called Up Till Morning, which is by a band called Treetop Mansion. And they are a Vermont-based band. They, it's It's kind of just like super happy and peppy music. I kind of feel like it's like a mix of like the Beach Boys and maybe something more modern like Imagine mm. Dragons or something like that. Sounds like some and, good California music. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's one of the guys, his name's Clint Bierman, and he is um, a dad from a school that I used to teach at, and he's just like an absolute legend. So I highly recommend listening to Up Till Morning, and maybe I'll ask him if we can use one of the songs as an outro um, oh, for, cool. the next, for the next time because I definitely dig it and I love the happiness because I feel like we need some of that right now. So yeah, I'm sure you can find it on, I found it on Google play. I'm sure it's on Spotify or you can just say Alexa play up till morning by treetop mansion. Good stuff. Or just put, put me up to there right there. Yeah. It'll work out good. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, if you want to get after us, as always, you can email DavePeachTree at gmail.com. Do the Twitter thing at bmaze19 or follow us on Instagram at Thriving in Dystopia. Any final words for those listeners this week, Bob? Just love talking with you, Dave, and hearing your perspectives. They give me a lot to think about, and just great to hear your voice, buddy. <laughs> Don't call me buddy, bud. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I was um, channeling Steve Owens a little bit there. Oh, good. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Uh, 
All right, Bob. Well, thanks for the chat and look forward to seeing what we get into next week. Love you, Bob. Love you, Davey. Hey, what's up, y'all? Bob and I just want to take that second and thank you all for those years that you keep on lending us. It seriously means the world to us and we couldn't and we wouldn't be doing this without you. So thanks so much. We also want to thank the artists for making our podcast a little bit more beautiful. The intro song is In Heaven by Drake Stafford. And our new outro song is called The Time for Action by Kennedy. And as always, the prolific and enigmatic Joe Shine did our thumbnail art. Well, we'll see you next Tuesday, and I hope you have a wonderful week. Action, 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 action. Lisa y llanamente, la cruz de fe verdad la vivimos en el presente Tirados sin piedad y perdidos entre la gente En esta realidad esperando pacientemente El cambio ya se siente, te mienten Los que dicen ver una grieta Presentan argumentos sin evidencia concreta Hacen de todo un cuento para que se ríe al de al lado Un mensaje para ellos, números están superados Tantos de mi clase que no tienen donde ir Sin nadie que los ampare ni razón para existir Odiándose entre ellos al no poder recurrir A un sistema que los mata y solamente quiere huir Se niega a abrir los ojos a ver tantas injusticias La calle es color rojo y nunca salen las noticias Manipulan a su antojo, nos dejan en la inmundicia Pero ahora su despojo va a ser la única primicia